Welcome to my space. Wait, no. Welcome to your space. Wait, no. Welcome to third space. Excellent. Yeah? That's you like great. That? That's amazing. What a oh, great man. opening. Yeah, I think that's a keeper. I think that's what, what we're is, do. What what is third what is third space? So it's not my space and it's not <laughs> your space. It's this third space that's created. Oh. I mean, it's kind of it's we're being silly, but I really do like the idea of um, like I'm sitting here at my desk in my spare bedroom and yeah, you're yeah. I think on your on what, the couch. Your couch sitting and, on the couch. Yeah, and so like the idea that we're not but, but like my conversation, I won't remember this as the time I sat in the chair yeah. at, at my desk. And you won't remember it as that couch conversation. Probably we'll not. think about the ideas. So third space is a conceptual space, not a physical one. And I just think that's really neat. Yeah. I love third space. I do too. It's, it, yeah, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good term. Kind of annoyed that other people you know, use it or have used it in other contexts. But Yeah, well, um, they're just worse and lame and crappier. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking okay, of, so... Oh, go ahead. Ah. No? <laughs> no, go ahead. No interruptions. Okay. I was just going to say, while we were talking about the podcast, a shout out to Michigan, uh, by the way, because every time I log on to our podcast site, it shows that someone from Michigan downloads every episode. So, awesome. Thanks, I, d- thanks Guy. I really like that. Um, is there a way to obtain like an email or a way no. for them to reach out to us? Oh. Um, uh, and that's not something we want to do? I mean, we... We, we'll we, talk about that later, I guess. We can make an email address for. I just like the, the idea of them being able to say, "Hey, uh, cool." Or, I don't know. Or I mean, I, yeah, that's nice, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We have like <laughs> 40, 40 downloads and okay. fourteen yeah, episodes right. now. So, but yeah, and it's more about us recording our conversations. Yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah. So I've got a new segment idea that I'm pretty excited about, oh. and I want to launch right into it. How do you feel about that? I feel really good about that. Okay, so it's a working title, but I'm going to call it for now, What Are Your Thoughts? My favorite, so, I love the title because I love giving my thoughts. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to expose you to a new and maybe even strange idea or concept or fad or anything like that. Okay. And you're going to pretend to be an expert on it. You're either going to say, oh yeah, you Ooh. know what? I just got, I'm a, it's, that's my new hobby. Or, you know what? I just happened to open this business or whatever. You're going to own this concept without knowing much about it. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you interview style questions as if you're, you're here to enlighten me on this topic. So this is kind of similar to the, the thing that we did with um, the, uh, the sicknesses or psychological conditions a little bit. It is a little bit like that, yeah. Which I have not listened to in so long that, like, yeah, it, it escapes except, me a bit. But except this is more broad, and I still have to act, but I, uh, but it's not quite as hard. It doesn't and sound the like gamification, yeah, I'm not here to fool you or trick you. You'll see, I, I have the perfect, it's just one thing. We're not going to, like, go through a dozen things. It's one thing, uh-huh. and it's one quick segment. Yeah, yeah. And um, so my, so I'll just, we'll just do it. And I think you'll hear what it is. It's not like I'm trying to fully read, don't know what it is. You'll yeah. you'll recognize it. You just have never have experienced or done it, I don't think. And you will <laughs> act like you have. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll give it my best shot, so... All right here we go. Yeah. So, um, what are your what are your thoughts on professional cuddling? Professional cuddling. I'm a fan. I uh, I watched the tournament last year. Amazing stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, could you tell me a little bit more about like how how do you define the parameters of professional cuddling? Well, the first thing you should know is that it's an endurance sport. Um, as they say, <laughs> it's uh, it's you've heard the phrase. Um, 
you know, something is a marathon and not a sprint. Cuddling is a marathon and not a sprint, that's for sure. You don't cuddle briefly. You cuddle for a long time. And these cuddling tournaments, they can go, they, they can go all night. Okay, so my, <laughs> I'm going to press pause for just a moment since we're figuring this out. Like, so is this how you're actually interpreting what professional cuddling is or did you decide to take it in a funny direction? Because like, my goal is I want you to pretend to be a, an expert in the area of what professional cuddling actually is. And it is not in any way, like you, you've thrown me because it's creative, <laughs> but it's not a sport. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just trying to act like an expert. This is what I do. <laughs> I just try to act like an expert. I, I, I give expertise on whatever's in front of me. So. <laughs> well, all of my co- uh, sub- subsequent <laughs> questions do not apply when you've turned it into a okay, competition. Okay, all right. Then uh, you must be talking about a different kind of professional cuddling. I was thinking tournaments. Actually, there's this other thing I've heard of where uh, it's kind of like therapy. So if you, yes. really, if you really need some some emotional support, but it's physical, you know? Then you go in and you see a professional cuddler and they just, uh, they cuddle your heart. Exactly. And so and you're going your body. to, for the sake of this interview, you're, you're the, you've started your new business. It's booming as a, as a, you're, you're both an active yeah. professional I have a, uh, and, and, and have employees and things like that. So that's how I'm going to frame some of these questions. Fine. It's perfect actually, because I just got my, um, my cuddle van, all, all decked out so I've got this uh, it's kind of a used minivan and on the side I I don't all these places are closed I had to just use spray paint free cuddles um, professional <laughs> cuddles on the side spray paint I drive it around honk the horn a little bit so that's a good question about space like where do these cuddles put, uh, tend to take place um, well I mean really it's prob it's probably like some hmm it's probably somewhere in between a doctor's office, therapy office sort of thing, you know, with a couch or the, it's not really a, a couch, but it's kind of like a, uh, what do they call those? Like a chase lounge or like, what do they call the things that are like, like day bed looking things, sort of something like that. Yeah. Like that. Probably like that. Um, ranging from there to like a yoga studio. That's what I'm imagining. Like somewhere in between there. Um, so it's a brick and mortar place. It's not like a house call type um, place. I wouldn't think. I would hope not. I mean, I would hope not. At, at least mine isn't going to be a house house call place. That just seems a little bit too uh, a little bit too seedy for me. Well, I mean, I want massages it to be on the make up. house calls, don't they? There, there there are massage parlors, and then there are masseuses that do make house calls. So I suppose That's the uh, the profession of cuddling can take on many forms. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The profession of cuddling can take on many forms. You're right. You're, you're exactly right. This is an absolutely real and um, emerging business that is growing uh, with the public. Like the public interest is is escalating. I mean, uh, not well, particularly in this this immediate time period because you know the whole six foot distance, whatever. But um, yeah, at, generally speaking, this is on the rise. I can't say I'm surprised. Uh, <laughs> I, I also can't say that I'm. Very uh, pleased with that fact. <laughs> we can abandon the you pretending to be a professional, uh, and it, because if that doesn't work as a framing, but I like no, this whole I, idea of what are your thoughts on? I like what and, are your thoughts on? Yeah, I actually I kind of like pretending that, but you know that that may be a, a 
give it my best shot and you can tell me if I'm right or not. It's just funny because <laughs> I was thinking roles reversed and I was thinking I could probably BS a professional cuddle business right now no matter what questions you throw at me. I, I mean, I did 15 minutes worth of research, but but like in, in terms of like how much does a professional cuddler make, how long how much a session and stuff. So what's your guess on that? Uh, I Look, the people who... Uh, how do I not... <laughs> What are your thoughts I, I, on cuddling, I, really, Bennett? Look, I want to be... I really don't want to be sensitive, but I should be sensitive. I, I'm finding it really hard to uh, accept that professional cuddling would actually be a worthwhile service, and then you wouldn't be better served, you know, learning some sort of resilience and, so that you don't need cuddling. I mean, again... I have this mindset that Not this is coddling, a, Bennett. Uh, sorry, I have this mindset that it's essentially therapy, um, and it just seems like other methods of therapy might be more effective than cuddling. I don't know, but again, I'm this is just off the cuff. So you, you're not I, far off. When I'm trying true. to when I'm trying to place a value on it in terms of how much how much should a professional cuddler md or cuddler whatever you know doctor doctor uh, doctor feel Do- uh, dr feel dr feels good dr feel though in a feel like that's yeah i know funny. yeah dr feel why don't you feel my body up against yours um when i try to value how much money that person should make my uh my lack of being impressed with this um makes me want to say something lower but when i think about the people who might be willing to pay for such a service, I think they'd be willing to pay for anything. So I'm just going to throw out there $65,000 um, a year. Oh, okay. Uh, this was a per hour rate. Per hour rate? That's harder. I would say... What do you think an hour of cuddling is worth? Uh, $60. $65. Yeah, uh, it, 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 you can make around $80. And that's the thing about a session. A session lasts between 90 and minutes and three hours and and can cost as much as eighty dollars an hour so that's strange that the number 80 and then the you would think if it's a business i, I don't i don't know I, but it's not a salaried thing i just don't think any there's going to be a salaried professional yeah, cuddler you're it's right. probably like an uber driver and a <laughs> cuddle not to say that it, well i am saying it doesn't require yeah um, no you're right you're right you do get certified, apparently. The one of the businesses is called Certified Cuddlers, and as far as like, what are they? What <laughs> are they trying? them? <laughs> That's what I want to know. What sort of training program? I mean, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and like the question too is, what is the goal? And I think you were touching on the idea of therapy, and it's to provide a, a people a safe space to feel respected, accepted, and worthy for exactly who they are. Jeez. And then they do that through one-on-one, fully clothed platonic cuddle sessions. No boners allowed. <laughs> uh, it utilizes clear rules, consent, and an ongoing open communication from both sides. Yeah. Um, and I'm and so all of these questions, like so this is where I was like saying, hey, tell me more about consent. That's how I was visualizing. Like, what do you think consent looks like? Or tell me more about consent. And you just BS your way through what consent means in these. Sure. Like with the spouse, like, like if you're not single... What do you, you know, or if you are single, or no, excuse me, if you're not single, 
do you have to have your girlfriend or boyfriend uh, consent to this, or like will they still just cuddle with you anyway? And I mean, from, a, imagine bu- from a business standpoint, they'll cu- if they're framing it like therapy, they'll cuddle with you anyway. I mean, from a moral standpoint, obviously you should you shouldn't go to a professional cuddler <laughs> and cuddle with someone That's- else without your uh, without your boyfriend or girlfriend saying that's cool with me right well are you i uh am a little bit suspicious of the notion of platonic cuddles and sure. by the way i'm guessing there's not a lot of uh i mean i imagine their their clientele is primarily single people right like part of a relationship is is cuddling i think um, i mean maybe i'm being too bold there but like that's just i'm just gonna guess their client base is is yeah single and, yeah. and and probably, I would just like to see the attractiveness if we could somehow quantify that objectively. And I'm sounding so mean here, but I imagine it's it's lonely people, primarily uh, ones that need to feel respect. Yeah, so. and I imagine the professional cuddlers are all very attractive women. Um, I think I'm going to guess I've not done a deep dive or anything on this, but like that it's it is uh, hippies. Yeah, ranging and 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 good looks. Oh, so you're saying you're saying they're not a, they're not attractive women? <laughs> no, 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 I'm just saying like like. There's a you, counter to my point. No, it's not a count. It was well, a counter to your position that there's going to be <laughs> uh, you're going to an expectation of looks just probably doesn't play into it. I imagine just a whole range. I imagine a particular personality type and not no, a particular I, I imagine uh, a, attractive type. I, I am. I see what you're saying with the personality type, but like. Let's imagine that you have that hippie personality type, and you open your cuddling business, and you're just not you're just not that attractive. Meanwhile, Deborah next door <laughs> yeah. is really attractive, and she decides next to door open Deborah. next door Deborah, <laughs> and she <laughs> that's the name of her business, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next door Deborah, professional cuddler. <laughs> Boners allowed. <laughs> oh man! If you yeah, but she's someone on a dating site, and they're a professional cuddler. Oh would that God, be a red stop. flag? Instant, instant swipe left. Get yeah. rid of them. Um, but yeah, she opens hers next door, and she's hot. Like, who's gonna get more business? You know, like even if even if you're like a you're depressed, maybe you recently broke up, and you just feel like you need some physical cuddling comfort, uh, and you're really down, and all you're into all of that um, kind of what you know whatever however they advertise that who are you gonna choose you're gonna choose like you know like overweight hippie dude or you're gonna choose dr deb with the smoking hot next door bod well that's that's she allows boners so by necessity this is a physical choice and we're making a decision based on like physical uh qualities and so who we find more attractive is going to be who we if we want to exchange physical touch with someone, the the more attractive person is undoubtedly um, going to do more business and be more right. successful. In that. Now, we're assuming this sort of economy of professional cuddling in which there's competition. I think it would be such a niche <laughs> yeah. market. There'd be one, but even one business would, you know, I think you would just see your, um, your professional cuddlers, uh, the attractive ones do way, way better. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, just just they, they're recurring customers. Uh, I mean, would, this be is very clear. This it's is obvious. It's so obvious. It's boring to even say. Right. I mean, uh, you know, the, it's the same outcome that you would see in a uh, in a field like modeling or, um, you know, like other, anything predicated on looks. I mean, that is yeah, pre- no, well, it's not predicated on looks. It's predicated on physical 
it's a it's a physical arena and that modeling would probably say the same thing about it's about clothes and how they wear the clothes yeah. but it ends up being about beauty because we associate the the aesthetic and the the physical they're well, just so linked now if i were going to try to push back on that idea i would say that it's really it's really not about the way they look it's about the emotional support that they can lend have you ever like hugged your grandma and it's you know maybe maybe your grandma is really overweight and stuff but like it's just the warmest softest most comforting hug it's a hug filled with love. You don't get a boner okay. when your grandma hugs you. Okay, you're right. There's a maternal good. quality or yeah. gr- grand maternal quality. There, there you go. <laughs> grand maternal quality. <laughs> I, okay, I can buy, and even like a masseuse, like, I mean, if I would rather, I'm, I'm not particular. I'm not the person to really ask. I'm not comfortable with massages. I've had one in my life, but like, I suppose I'd rather have the really, really professional like person i'd rather have a that might not be attractive than the someone who's terrible at their job but they're professional sure and so if it truly but but i'm more suspicious about but, they call it platonic cuddle sessions i just feel like this is blurring the lines like could you call them platonic uh sex workers who you know because it's not about love it's just it's just it's a friendly business sure. exchange like like at what point can you just say no like cuddle Cuddle has crossed the zone to intimacy reserved for romantic partners to me. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's the high school girl who puts her feet in the guy's lap and, like, he flirts and they cuddle up with... But that's... And then... But uh, it's a bold claim. I just want to... I'm just thinking about platonic cuddle as almost oxymoronic. Yeah, I mean, I'm so torn because, like... And that may be surprising to you. um, Like... If, are you saying if, that when we, when you and I are together and we're all we're cuddled up on the couch, you're saying that that has? Uh, I, I, I think it's platonic. Friendship? I, I say it's oh. platonic. I don't well, know. We what have you, I don't know what we your have... feelings are on the matter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, so let's see if I can if I can get my thoughts straight on this. If I had a girlfriend and she said, you know, this weekend I'm going. Um, to hang out with you know this guy I used to be roommates with in college. We're just, we're just probably gonna hang out and do some platonic cuddling. Mm-hmm. Whoa, hold on, nope, like no I such mean, thing as platonic cuddling. Like you can't, you know, that's not happening. Especially at the intended purpose, we're going to go cuddle. That's yes. weird. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting together. What are you gonna do? Cuddle. But in fact, but, there's no other arrangement of cuddling that they, that always takes place organically during a movie. You know, dinner. You snuggle up. A conversation. Or, a walk in the park and you sit on the bench. You don't say, like, let's go cuddle. What do you do? What do you want to do tonight? I don't think we should cuddle. Let's cuddle. I mean, you could even say, let's stay in and cuddle. But what you're saying is a movie or, you know, take out and, you know, take it home. And, and that's a, you just don't, cuddle's not the end objective. So it's strange to have a business. It, it'd be almost a fun intellectual exercise to what are, what are other businesses that are usually are side products, but this is a whole establishment. Right. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, but I, I interrupted your thoughts on cuddling. Um, I mean, from you know, it, if if like like I was saying, my girlfriend wanted to go platonically cuddle, I would be like, that's nonsense. But but if it's a person like I kind of the situation I presented, a person who you know maybe just got out of a relationship, just got broken up, just got dumped or something, and they're feeling really sad and they want some, maybe they don't have any you know really cuddly grandmas around and they just want some. Some they want to feel 
close to someone, uh, I, I don't know, I can see someone being soothed by that interaction. Like, I can see that. And that doesn't mean you have to be romantically involved with the professional cuddler or, or even want to be uh, romantically involved with the professional cuddler. I don't know. I can just see it working for some people. I, I think it absolutely there's something to be said that physical touch impacts our emotional state is 100 percent true well that's so definitely true yeah that's the premise of this and that and that even cuddling define cuddling impacts our emotional state um but i'm worried that this professional this sort of monetizing of cuddling is yeah. antithetical to the very nature of it the idea of cuddling well, is yeah. to exchange the, the reason it the reason physical touch impacts us emotionally like that's what you want to unpack why and mm. I think it's an expression of intimacy right. and so to be to be now like I'll pay you money I'll I'll give you cuddles sure um, it, it robs and right. in fact that's why like, the very nature of a strip club or, or ex- prostitution it, yeah yeah prostitution exchange of goods and services for something that is otherwise reserved for an intimate right. exchange yeah. is so off putting. Um, and I, you know, I don't even like damaging like, too. It's so. damage. Well, I don't even like. Um, I, I'm not opposed to a, a, a waiter, or waitress being a little bit flirty. Like I get it, right? Like I get why they do that. So I'm not judging people who use flirtation skills to up their tips. But if something like a Hooters, which is predicated on um, positioning where they they are they are basically hired to come in and and be flirty and and present themselves in a particular available way. Um, you know, like that, that again takes an intimate idea and bastardizes it to the extent that I'm, I'm, um, I guess I'm the word repulsed works. I'm repulsed. I, I can't. I'm deeply uncomfortable. I would be so deeply uncomfortable working or, or and trying to enjoy a cuddle session. Like I think it'd be <laughs> hilarious to do a video blog of like you and me going to a professional cuddling <laughs> store and you, you'd you be the funny one. You'd be, yeah, you don't even... I, I don't like touching anyone or anyone <laughs> touching me. Like, really. We'd, like, we'd both I, be supremely uncomfortable. Like, even the situation I presented about hugging my grandma, like, I, I actually don't like to hug my grandmas. You know, I do it because it's expected of me. Um, right. It's part of the cultural fabric and you understand that other people feel that way. <laughs> right. And my, and my grandmas like it. So, you know... I'll hug my grandmas because they because they like it, and I, I want to, you know, give them that hugging, comforty feeling. And of but, course, you know, in a relationship, that's that's completely not. You know, that's the only area. And again, this speaks to your intimacy point because you know, in a relationship, physical touches is a sign of intimacy, and that's something I want to encourage. But but I, I, otherwise, no, don't touch me. The reason I'm even a little bit judgmental of someone who would want to participate, I'm not judging the fact that they're feeling lonely. That doesn't, uh, look, people are lonely. Um, we've all been there kind of thing. Um, and I'm not judging the fact, the The reason I actually judge them is because they, I, I this might be a fault of, uh, this might be on me, but they are fooling themselves. The reason it works is because they're either too stupid or intentionally fooling themselves that this is meaningful. Sure. And yeah. that bothers me. So my judgment comes in the fact that that they are able to say, I give stranger money, they give me intimacy, and it works? It works for you? Are you kidding? What kind of person are you that you can willfully, either willfully turn it off or are too stupid to have it yeah. present where you well, recognize that this exchange is not intimate and not actually meaningful? Sure. Well, I imagine that there have been many, many cases of you know some guy going to a strip club or something and 
buying lap dances or whatnot uh and falling in love with the with the stripper you know or believing Um, the strippers into them exactly and 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 this is a a one-way interaction the stripper is just trying to make money pure and simple and he is you know getting feels um right and and, it's because you're intertwining the intimate so he's his brain is going but but it's just a competition it doesn't work for him right Um, and so i imagine with the cuddling it you know, the same kind of situation could develop probably to a lesser, um, you know, a lesser extreme just because cuddling is less extreme than, uh, than stripping, but, but it could still develop, I think. But even the culture I'm imagining, so you can imagine the culture of a strip club and the culture of a cuddling environment and the, the cuddling environment might even be positioned to seem because it's less, less extreme it's more unassuming so it might in weird ways you're cuddling with someone and you're probably talking and sharing and imagine it's not just silent cuddling so i bet that issue is amplified i bet more crushes develop and it might even be a two-way street because even strippers like sometimes they like like when you're when you're um it's it's that fake it till you make it phenomenon if you're just doing the what is what is intimate even if in in trying to treat it as not intimate it just can be blurry so you could i believe you could develop um feelings by operating oh definitely i mean that's the thing that they say you know um that's so subversive is if you want to if you want to corrupt someone's morals then make them say things they don't believe because just saying it, it begins to corrupt you um that's why you know being dishonest or lying is so bad because the more you allow yourself to speak something that you don't believe, the more you slowly twist to believing it. And I think the same can be said for physical actions as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I I don't think it would apply like the at gunpoint. Like if someone's say say they're a Christian and you you have a gun in your head, say say I don't believe in God, and you say okay, sure. I don't believe in God. It didn't do. It had almost zero effect, right? It saved your life, whatever. But, I mean, you could debate, like, what the correct action should you abandon. <laughs> yeah, your but, right, but that's different. But you don't all of a sudden actually not believe in God. No, no, no. It's a gradual thing. Imagine um, some oppressive regime that makes people sign, you know, statements that say, you know, I, I disavow, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. And right. you have to do this repeatedly over time. Your resistance to agreeing with the oppressive regime is going to go down. Or or even some a Christian who goes to, like, a, uh, maybe a some a, a non-christian environment a schooling environment maybe an academic liberal arts school that and they everyone around so they just they don't talk about god and i didn't mean to make some religious point but like for a lot or maybe they even uh dump on classic or traditional christianity and that person kind of wants to fit in and participates a bit and but even though they you know continue going to church or whatever adhering to their religion Mm. um over the years that could have a that could have a real effect on their relationship with christianity or god or all of that because they've maybe even adopted some of the views or said yeah 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 well i don't believe this this and this in order to fit in so whether it's a regime or a significant cultural immersion in a in a different culture i think you you know who who we're around can reflect how we think and feel because it's what we end up saying yeah for sure that makes Um, sense Yes. Uh, on the topic of um, physical intimacy, uh, <clears throat> I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I, I didn't mention it to you off podcast. Um, but I actually watched the movie Her that you recommended to me a long time yes, ago. Yes, it's been a while. What were it's been thoughts? a long time. Um, it's got stars, uh, what's his name? Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, he's really good. He was the Joker, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And it's a movie. Um, it's a movie about. Uh, it's set in the future, and they develop an operating system that is an artificial intelligence, and it's like a know, Siri or something, right? Yeah, like Siri, and it's really good. It's a really high quality artificial intelligence, and he's kind of this lonely dude. He buys this operating system, and then you know, it's so he makes it a woman, and and he's not a complete loser, right? He's not like some. No, no, he's not a complete. He's not a complete loser. He's just weird. a loner. The, the movie is quirky. It's quirky, it's yes. quirky and and weird. He's not he's not positioned as a loser, but he's also not positioned as you know like a like a winner. <laughs> yeah, a winner either. So, but um, yeah, the the AI starts to develop a personality and uh interacts really well with him and they have good chemistry as much as you can you know as much as you can say that That, but that's what the movie is really about is investigating the interaction the hypothetical interaction between a human and an ai um and one of the one of the key conflicts in the movie um is the fact that the ai doesn't have a, a physical body uh and how that impacts their relationship um and does an intimacy was... require a two-way street? Like, isn't that like, mm. is that a, yeah, is that a precursor to real intimacy? I thought that was one of the interesting point. I thought the movie had a lot of interesting questions. Um, I thought it was a, a good movie. I, I, I had a couple of issues with it, but, um, but overall very interesting. And it deals with this issue of physical intimacy in, in some way. Um, so I would recommend, I would recommend watching it. And I thank you for the rec- for recommending it to me. I enjoyed it. You know, my criticism of this is the same. It's not if someone ends, like, if we get into a state where people are involved in relationships with machines. I mean, so many people go, oh, that's horrible and that's terrible. And they they balk and they judge and they do all of this. Um, I also do feel there's something about, about that that really deeply bothers me. And again, it's not the fact that someone's lonely. I'm not mad at them for trying to fit in and trying to belong. Um, I'm disappointed that they can fool themselves into believing. This is obviously my opinion shining through heavily, but sure. like that 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 they can believe, suspend their disbelief to the point that like they're not investing in another person, um, and they're not like helping anyone else. It's just it's all one way. There's is, no one on the other end. Isn't this that, the concept of waifu? The uh, when when people will form a crush on like an anime character or something and they say that's my waifu and they uh i'm not familiar with this that's a cool, really that's a an interesting idea like yeah and they essentially swear off 3d women <laughs> real women yeah 3d <laughs> yeah that's they're intentionally not saying real right 2d only well, that's that's the that's I guess the that's the, the counter to my argument. Someone would say you're saying it's not real, like it because it's not a mutual exchange. But if the artificial intelli- intelligence is um, sophisticated enough, it, it 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 like what does it mean to be alive? Like because if you had to consider like one of the points in the movie I recall is that well, it's not like the artificial intelligence just agrees with you and gives you everything you want. You have to treat this this um, form. You have to you have to negotiate, make concessions. There are arguments. Like it's a legitimate relationship in terms of give and take, um, because the the artificial intelligence has its a, a complicated personality, 
and I'm using loaded terms, but mm-hmm. but it's still not a person. Like, what does it mean to be living? Like, yeah, it can be, it can resemble living. It can be complicated, but it's not a, you know, another, like, I guess this is get, it gets well, to the, the soul concept. Like it doesn't have a soul. And so well, that's actually another point in the movie. And, um, I, mean, I guess if you, there's not, it's not really spoiler territory, I guess. If you don't want to hear too much about it, then maybe fast forward a little bit, but like the, <clears throat> the question of, um, what does it mean? to be conscious or to be a person uh, kind of comes up in the movie and like there comes a point when the AI supersedes what the guy, what the human guy is capable of. And like, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of an interesting thing. Um, Actually, one of my criticisms of the movie was that you you mentioned the point about the AI having a real personality and there being arguments and all of that stuff. That's actually one of my criticisms of the movie is that I was annoyed that the AI very quickly became an annoying girlfriend, like (laughs) really quickly became super annoying in a way that like I would have just broken up with that AI. And, and the the problem in the movie is that if it's an AI, then it, any any manufacturer of this operating system is going to make it modifiable and like if my ai girlfriend started acting like the girl the ai girl in the movie i would have been like logging into that system and be like all right changing these parameters like drop that neuroticism <laughs> drop that emotionality down a little bit like tweak this stuff because like it felt like the movie really really wanted you to fall in love with the ai girl Mm-hmm. really 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 wanted you to was pushing that super hard and failed for me um i don't recall feeling emotional about the ai it's been uh, granted years since i've seen it but yeah. i don't the, recall it being a heavy push even i didn't think oh, that but it makes sense that the idea is it was least, heavy it was a heavy push to try I thought to get the you. idea was to make you not be repulsed by his relationship, knowing that most people would go, this is gross, to sort of understand. So it wasn't a push for us to fall in love with the AI, but for us to understand his relationship with with her. Like For us to go, I can see why this man, this particular man is in fair, this yeah, relationship. Fair enough. I mean, you could, I mean, you could draw... You could draw a parallel between those two arguments. Yeah, they could overlap, and, and, and the scenes could, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I found myself being kind of like, uh, it's time to end this relationship, like it's time to get out of this. But my point is that if it's an AI and you know he can just log into the computer, then why wouldn't he just modify things? Or like the whole, you know, the whole plot point about her expanding beyond his capabilities. Like the the movie tries to portray it as if the AI cares for him just as much as he cares for the AI, and if that were true then why wouldn't the, I mean, the AI could self-limit or delete stuff. I mean, the movie didn't explore all of the possibilities of right. what an AI relationship could entail. I get that. They had to, you know, make certain decisions of what to, what to put in the movie and what message they wanted to give. Um, yeah, because o- even overall, the really, really enjoyable still. I love how quirky it was, and the visual design was actually pretty good too. And what what does it mean for a... For, for a robot or an AI to, to care. That's so such a strange concept. Like, sure. I mean, what if it can resemble caring 100%? That's the thing. AI can get smart enough to fool us into behaving just like a human would. So if it can well, present as human and it can present as caring, is that any different from being human or caring? Well, 
like I don't claim to be an, an expert on AI, but uh, like I I'm working on a master's degree and I've taken AI courses, and my experience thus far is that AI is hilariously dumb. Like it's way more dumb than people think. People think AI is amazing and we're on the cutting edge of like these sorts of human AI interactions. Nope. Nope, we're really far. Like AI is good in narrow, narrowly defined parameters uh, that we really polish over time, but we're far, far away from something like what this movie presents. So this is I'm talking out of my ass here, but like they'll talk about online courses run by um, a professor, but and the kids at the end will be asked like how was the professor and it turns out the professor was an ai machine you know emailing them back and forth and they could not most could not tell like 80 90 percent are you saying the reason that's convincing is because it's been it's narrowly defined parameters specific questions and it's been refined over a long time not because it's actually just like it because within the frame of a course like yeah you can probably over the years predict within reason how to respond and Mm. to students because that's narrow Natural language processing, which is what that is, um, is is somewhat impressive. Like you can ask an AI uh, that has been trained up on the English language, you can ask it a question, and it will respond with something that follows the rules of grammar and might f- make some kind of sense if, if it's in a narrowly defined arena. Like for example, in my the class that I'm taking, or the class that I've taken before. They trained up an AI on the syllabus and the course documents, um, and they had us ask the AI questions, and it could answer the questions if they were found in those course documents. But if I asked the AI something like, hey, AI, what's the nearest professional cuddler to me? You know, or <laughs> some, well, what, do you th- what are your thoughts, AI, on professional cuddling? You know, I'm not going to get a response from that. It doesn't know what that is. It doesn't probably even have the word cuddling in its vocabulary. Right. Okay. Like that's I, the the, uh, the misconception is that AIs are smart. They're not. They're actually extraordinarily dumb. But they can think. I use that term very loosely. They can think so fast that they can connect all the different probabilities between you know. Okay, the word and comes before and after this word. They can think about all of those connections so fast, and they can crunch the numbers to figure out. Okay. Here's the words they at, here's the words that were input to my equation. Here's the most likely words that need to be output and then output them. So I think part of the problem is the illusion of, of well, there's a, the sheer mass of different type or quantity, I should say, of, of different types of artificial intelligence. So there's artificial intelligence that will do something and it will do it well. Like Google will turn on my lights and follow mm-hmm. these commands and do it very well. And then maybe, like you said, a professor could pretend, or pretend to be a professor or what, and since there's, thousands of these AI things going around, we, we in our brain, we lump AI together and we think it can do anything. And we think of it yeah, as yeah. War, inner working one and being thing, yeah. one magical beast of a machine. And that's, they're all individually able to do their narrow commands well. And that makes us think they're sophisticated, but they're, so that they're, they're well, fairly well run machines but they are um, narrow and not sophisticated. That's right. I mean, and, you know, I don't mean to convey with my negativity that it's not impressive or that I don't like it. You know, I'm taking courses in it because I find it fascinating um, and and really like the idea of AI and 
man, some of the stuff it can do is impressive, but it's just another tool. It's not a human-like intelligence on the other end. And, you know, some people, there are people out there, Elon Musk and others, who think that, you know, we're on the brink of, like, the singularity and we're going to make a general intelligence AI that's going to be able to manage all this stuff. And maybe, but from what I've seen, and I'm not, by no means an expert, uh, we're not close. So you feel, what do you think? Like Elon Musk is not a dummy, is he? Is he just no, enjoying no, no, he's a conspiracy theory? not a dummy. So there's lots of, or aren't there a lot of smart people who think we're we're on the brink? I, I, I'm speaking sure, so are. far out of my comfort zone. There are I, a lot of people who think who who think that we are really close to crazy, you know, singularity style stuff. And there are lots of really smart people who don't. So. There's smart people on, on both ends of that matter. But again, this is fortune-telling, um, and we only have certain evidence to go by. I, I tend to think that um, it's pretty far off, if ever. Again, I guess I think of all the disparate AI things out there, and if only, if you just imagine them almost like a stars in the universe, so, but they're all separated. But, but if you could just look at this sky and see a web and see it all connected, then you'd see that seeing the singularity seems so close, but those stars are so far apart, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. imagining the web that would connect it all would well, seem so conceivable, but it's obvious that that's not not the case right yeah i mean i'm sure there are tons of analogies we could we could come yeah, up I don't with know. but I'm, like that's a strange you know, thought we had you know we had like in old sci-fi movies we had droids and and robots and you know back in the you know 40s or 50s or something then i imagine there were these really sm- legitimately smart scientists roboticists that were thinking and just we're right on the edge of having robotic butlers and maids in in every home, you know. There were pe- I'm sure there were people with ideas like that. Right, right. But but the fact that we can make a prosthetic hand that you know can grasp really well, and we can make bipedal robots like Boston Dynamics people, um, just because we can do that doesn't mean all those stars will come together and we'll have you know robotic butlers in every home, yeah. um, soon. So. Yeah. Um, subject shift uh, to a brief subject. I've been playing a new video game the last couple of days that is different than any video game that I've ever played before. Really? Uh, it's called La Mulana. Okay. And it's a uh, it's a two D game, kind of with a sixteen bit, similar to a Super Nintendo style okay. to it. Um, and its pitch is that it is one of the most difficult games there is. Uh, and so far that's turning out to be true. It's extremely difficult. Uh, it's a The genre of the game is Metroidvania, which you're probably not familiar with the term. Um, I'm but, familiar with Metroid Prime and uh, Transylvania, or some Vania. Castlevania. Castlevania, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so Met- uh, Metroid is the series Metroid and Castlevania it's a portmanteau of those two words Metroidvania these are 2D games generally where uh, the map is relatively open <clears throat> and game progresses by you traveling to the only place you can getting a power up and now that you've got that power up new areas are open to you maybe the power up's a double jump now you can jump over that cliff that you saw a while back and 
you continually get power-ups and venture through the same interconnected spaces and usually you fight bosses and so there's exploration to it um and it's not level based like you know like a super mario game it's not left to right i guess yeah right you yeah. can go left right up down all that stuff so uh this game is a metroidvania in that sense but even more than that it's a puzzle game everywhere in this game are riddles and like there's these little tablets and they say when you read them you're like what what am i looking at like this doesn't it's just like Archeolo- uh, the the setting of the game is you're an archaeologist. You're basically Indiana Jones. You have a whip and you have a hat, and you're going delving into ruins. Um, and uh, there are all these tablets that you find that say have riddles on them, and they don't make any sense. And like you actually have to keep a notepad and paper and write down the stuff so that you can come back to it later. And then you have to figure out the riddles and then implement it in the game. And it's, it's really like the puzzles are hard. The the Metroidvania style has a little bit of difficulty inherent in it, and worst of all, all of that I count as positive, but my main criticism so far in the game is that it controls horribly. It's so bad. The controls That's are a terrible. big deal. Bad controls is a can, can really ruin a game, I feel. Uh, yeah, gosh. I mean, look, granted, I am, I've played maybe three or four areas of the game, so I'm still... Sort of in the Do you mean that they're not intuitive or they're not responsive? They're not responsive. Um, they uh, like the you, you know when you play like a Mario game and you make Mario jump in the air. Let's say you're running to the right, you're running forward, and you jump. Mario uh, he jumps on an arc, and it's very predictable. And right. if you jump in the air and then press left, Mario you know counter to the laws of physics kind of stops in the air and starts to go back the other direction. A little bit, yeah. Well, this game doesn't do that, uh, so you can't like, you if you if you're standing still and you press jump, you just jump up and down in the air. If you walk to off of a cliff, you just walk off of a cliff. You fall straight down and you can't move left and right. You just the only thing you can do is fall straight down. And, That's annoying, actually. Yeah, and if you if you're moving to the left or right and you jump, you can't stop in midair and go back the other direction. So once you leave the ground, like that's it. Like you, you're going where you're going. Well, okay, so I mean, these details and, are fine, but I'm more curious, you, you led with I'm playing a game unlike any other and you've proceeded to pretty well, much describe because it. Well, because it's the puzzle aspects are unlike anything else. Like the things that you're expected to solve and know are like actually really obscure and uh, hard to figure out. Like there are all of these references to like egyptian gods and uh statues in the background and yet like i have my notebook here let me just read i'll read you some of the notes that i jotted down mm. <clears throat> um i i did i when you said notebook i thought you meant within the gameplay like it was a no, saved you mean newspaper you, it's like, actually crazy enough that you need a physical pe- notebook yeah so hmm. Um, and I wrote them in shorthand, so they're kind of spruced up to fit in the style of the story. But like, um, oh, the path of gazing faces leads to the heavenly corridor. And then I don't, in my notes, I got dot, 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 hidden floor. So I don't know what it was saying there. Oh, um, Abuto, G, Ribu, and Sakit uh, hoped for the mother. So there you go. <laughs> Do you Aren't know you? any of those people or things? I don't know. Nope. 
I mean, not other than what you read on the tablets. You know, eventually, when you read enough things and discover enough things, you can start to put the pieces together and if, figure it out. If this is encouraging you to write stuff down in a journal, will it? Is it also encouraging you to? I mean, this is interesting to take a video game experience to real life, where you're actually writing something physically. And is it encouraging you to go Google those names and see what you can learn about those? maybe maybe prehistoric gods i mean you know what i'm saying like no. this it's not okay no it's making me want to solve the puzzles and beat the game um, well right but i mean i mean is the intention that the game is trying so. to get you to go no. outside of, okay i don't think that's the intention of the game at all um i think the intention of the game is to kind of counter the trend that we've seen uh, of games just being really easy um this sounds like a little bit a bit silly in the other direction though yeah, it may be a little too far in the other direction. I mean, I, I like difficult games. Before this game, I would say, and you know, I'm not done with this game yet, but from all I've read, it only gets harder. Um, I just played a boss yesterday that, or I just beat a boss today that probably took me, probably took me 65 tries, and it's only like the third boss in the game. So, uh, <laughs> is, it was are you having fun? Name. Are you feeling rewarded? Uh, like, is first, it a net benefit to play? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. At first, I was a little frustrated, mostly by the controls, um, and you know, there's a there's an acclimation period you have to go to with any video game where you just get used to the rules that it imposes on you, and once you accept the limitations of the game and start to work within those limitations and defeat challenges, games pretty much inevitably get more fun. Um, I've certainly played unfun games before. This one, I think, I think I've gotten past the frustrating parts of the controls and and can deal with it going forward. Although, gosh, there's some really annoying things in it. Um, <laughs> but the exploration and the puzzles, I actually really enjoy. I like the difficulty of that. Before I played this game, the most difficult game I played was probably maybe Hollow Knight, another Metroidvania. But that game, I thought, had really good fluid controls. And the challenge was just in, you know, tight timing and memorizing the boss patterns. Right, and that's that's the typical, that's the rub of most video games. Yeah. This game, like, La Mulana has some, uh, it does have some cheap shots. Like, there are some times when there will be a trap and, you know, like, there's a pedestal, you know, like Indiana Jones, and you have to put a weight on it and it sinks down. Um, and when you do that, you just get hit by some spikes or something, and you would have had no way to know. Uh, it just hits you, and you're like, well, you got me. It's it's a game where you're meant to die over and over again and and then figure out the... How That's to how the you learn. Yeah. That's how you learn. How many that can, that can work, but um, you, know, you have to prepare yourself for that kind of gameplay. So how many hours would you say you've invested? Right now, only about six hours, so not that far. Um because it's interesting you could it could be a long game because it takes a long time to complete what actually content wise isn't that long right potentially they could be if you have bosses that take 65 tries each they could be four bosses and you still have a lot of hours invested in the game so it's like almost a weird thing to say oh it's a hundred hour game yeah but it's got the content of some games that are only 12 hours or something like that yeah, that yeah, that is interesting. They say that the game provides more than forty hours of gameplay, but again, all those estimates are always a little yeah, fuzzy. Hours of gameplay is has always weirded me out because you're controlling the speed. Now, I mean, 
it's remarkable that people move through games when averaged out at a very similar pace, I would imagine, because you're not just standing there as a character looking at nothing. And you're, if you're going to move from A to B, you're going to typically, like if there's a way to sprint, you're going to probably sprint instead of just moseying your character <laughs> along, you know? So. Yeah, I, I would guess that the, um, the shorter the game duration on average, the smaller the standard deviation is as well. Daniel does science. Daniel does what standard <laughs> deviation is. But oh, that makes sense. Like, uh, if if a game, if I played a game that took me a hundred hours, then I would expect that you know, I'm a completionist, so I would expect that the ra- the normal range of game times is something like you know sixty hours, maybe fifty hours to one hundred and twenty hours, something like that. But if I played a game and beat it in ten hours, I would expect that you know the uh, the range is something like like eight hours to 12 hours or something, you know? Like um, right. the, the deviation, the distance between the average the, and the, the endpoints is smaller for a shorter game. Yeah, like, that, that would have, yeah, that just plays out naturally, I feel like. Yeah, you're probably right. Logically, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I didn't want to uh, talk a long time about La Milana. I just, yeah, I just don't um, know what it's like to listen to video game talk. Like, you and I talk video games quite a bit, but, like... Probably not that interesting. I imagine talking about a, Talking about a specific one. Um, if we, you know... The if we subject talk... of video games in E3 or something, I think that's fair yeah, play. That's... But if to get into the minutia of, like, a level or an update on a video game is just not particularly compelling, I don't think. Mm. Um, uh, I do have another... I mentioned Daniel Does Science. I do want to actually do Daniel Does Science. Oh, boy. Okay, hit me with it. My um, brain is tired today. That's okay. I actually I didn't originally intend for this to be Daniel Does Science, but it just fits so perfectly. Uh, really, I'll just kind of... We'll see what you know, and <laughs> um, and then I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit. So uh, with all of this uh, social distancing stuff, maybe this uh, maybe uh, fits a little bit more, but... Um, uh, I want to know if you know how body odor works. Ooh. Okay, so I guess the most, the, the simplest, or the, the cultural understanding we have, the completely unscientific, is that when you don't wash, you get dirty, and dirty people smell. Okay. Um, but my assumption is uh, you're not dirty after, say, you play a sport or something. You sweat. Your body uh, opens up and sweats. But I don't think it's just like it's all the gross smell from the inside making secreting out. I think that's over. That's not. That's just not right. My okay. guess is that there's like tiny bacteria that be when the moisture um, kind of comes out, it, it's like watering this. F- we all have bacteria all over us all the time. I don't even know if that's really true, but it seems like plausible that we all have this stuff on us, like little micro living bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and and <then laughs> when you sweat, it waters, essentially waters it, and it and creates this environment for those to grow. And those and those are that's where odor comes from. Is that bacteria under your armpit? You know that. So that's why more moist areas emit. Uh, grosser smells, I suppose. And that's why you can smell even after you've showered and then you go to a workout. You haven't gotten dirty. You've just mm-hmm. watered your your bacteria-ridden self or clad self. Well, um, there's my thoughts. Yeah, you're a regular old scientist. A lot of that is, uh, is really good. So let me ask you this before I 
before I confirm how much you got right or not, why does deodorant work? And if if what you're saying is true and we're covered with bacteria, obviously our arms and legs can sweat. Why don't we put deodorant on our arms and legs? Why do we only put it under our arms? Um, well, I got to distinguish between deodorant and antiperspirant because if you do just buy deodorant, you tend to just sweat as much as... Um, anyone you know or like it, it only sort of perfumes I might i think the this is my simplified understanding i don't have much science here but a deodorant pretty much perfumes your uh odor it masks and an oh. antiperspirant prevents the sweating like anti-sweat uh, essentially sure. and so and i know that the thing about antiperspirant and some of the caution we have is that there's some active uh, ingredients like um, aluminum, which could be bad and cause cancer. I don't know. There's, I don't know enough, but there's this sort of at least cultural mythos around it causing cancer or making you have brain early developed brain disease. And that's why there's a push for these natural ingredients. But I've tried natural deodorants and they suck because you, they're not, they're just deodorants. They're not antiperspirants. You sweat still like crazy. Right. And um, honestly, it does seem to me just like. A little good smell like I smell the stick and it smells just as good and you put it on and it can even apply similarly but the second you start sweating if you really smell you, your nose um, like if you really put it up in there give it a good whiff um, it you it just smells kind of like after someone takes a poop and you spray the room um, you get both and it's kind of it's not like oh this is just a wonderful Febreze no it's like Ugh, weird Febreze poop and so, um, <laughs> so that's what it, it seems like to me so yeah, your your distinguishing between deodorant and antiperspirant is something that uh, that I want to briefly touch on a little bit. But the question I was asking is, oh, why what, not if, do our legs or something? So, yeah, yeah, right. If your supposition is we have bacteria all over our bodies and sweating waters the bacteria, then why do, why does wearing antiperspirant, which I guess you would admit does have some effect on body odor, right? Um, it seems to work a lot better. Yeah. yeah. So why do we only put it under our arms? Or at least I, that's what I do anyway. I guess maybe there's some people that give themselves a rub down, but yeah, like um, uh, those are we just... put it under our arms and it tends to eliminate body odor. So yeah, what's the deal with I that? guess it's just the collection zones. That's why, like, we think about what smells. It's your the crotch area, the pits, um, and the feet, right? Because they're in moist environments. And so yes, your legs and arms, you can sweat anywhere actually i don't know that like do your ears sweat probably not um that'd be, your palms i'm pretty sure don't sweat uh, and then of course they do yeah, sweaty palms. palms why would i say that why palms would i are say sweaty, that knees, yeah i know i feel spaghetti mom spaghetti i feel really stupid for saying that but there surely like there's a couple of spots what i was thinking of is your body's covered in hair right mm-hmm. like even and your palms are not that's kind of i was confusing to sure. but you don't sweat somewhere i'm sure um yeah. but those are just like it's reasonable to think we would it's more of a cultural thing like it would just take a long time and and it doesn't actually add to the smell because those aren't like the, the it just seems to me the pits pits and crotch are like the, the bacteria um gathering or zones because they're more moist and like they are often dark like like darker areas you have clothes covering it up and that sort of thing all right so you're you're actually you've done a really good job um at at this actually so uh the odor does come from bacteria you know a lot of people probably have the misconception that your sweat stinks but sweat is generally odorless uh so it's um 
the sweat that say your arm sweats or something that comes from your eccrine glands e c c r i n e eccrine and the sweat that comes from those glands is mostly just electrolytes and water it doesn't smell um but the thing that you're not quite caught on to and i wouldn't have expected you to know this is that you also have a different kind of glands called apocrine 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 or <laughs> apocrine gosh i can't speak apocrine glands um and they are located in your underarms and in your groin on your palms and on your feet and they don't just secrete electrolytes and water they also secrete fatty acids and proteins and that's what the bacteria eat so the bacteria don't eat electrolytes and water they eat fatty acids and proteins and when they do eat that they emit these odorous chemicals and that's what smells i never think of my hands as being particularly like odorous. i know right zones. Yeah, me either. I never thought that, but apparently your hands do have apocrine glands. Is that because like we? I mean, I guess we wash them enough, or we wipe them off, or they're constantly—they're just not moist zones. So, in terms, of they might sweat, sure, but you tend to—you don't wipe off your feet a bunch. They just are right. in the sock, in the shoe all day. Yeah, well, so. I mean, you have to imagine if you're if you're sweating, and it's the contents of the sweat that the bacteria feed on but yeah you wipe your hands all the time and if you're wiping those contents off on towels or on your pants or on whatever then the bacteria are continually losing what they have to eat and the bacteria are getting wiped off as well so what made you come across what made you think of this um i because actually uh ever since i've been working from home and not essentially just staying in my apartment for multiple days because of the thing that you mentioned the rumor that deodorant with the active ingredient of aluminum can you know lead to Alzheimer's. That's the rumor that I heard anyway. I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not coming into contact with any other human being. I'm not leaving my apartment. I don't want Alzheimer's, so I just won't wear deodorant unless I need to. And uh, then I started to stink really bad. And I was like, oh man, body odors. I've never really stunk before because I've always worn deodorant or yeah. perspirant. Um, <laughs> so which you, I got, just, you got stinky where you could smell yourself? Yeah, and I could smell myself. And I was like, wait, this is bad. And, but, but then I persisted and it was fascinating to me how different body odor can smell over time. <laughs> this is kind of gross. I like it. It is, it is kind of gross, but it's also like, I thought it was gross too, but it's also really interesting because I noticed that sometimes it would smell you know, just, just purely unpleasant, just bad. And I would never want to be around another person when I smelled like that. Um, well, let me also clarify, just because other people are listening to this, that I'm not an unhygienic person, and I don't just casually walk around stinking all the time. If I have to interact with anyone else, you know, I yeah, no, 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 clean, I don't really, I I'm clean, that. and I wear deodorant. And I guess I know that about you, so yeah. Right, just make that clear. But almost in kind of a, an experimental sort of way, after after I noticed this, I was like, huh, what? You know what I was thinking. What causes this variety, <clears throat> this variety of smells, um, and and I was just fascinated by the the sheer variety. I would think that each kind of person has their own unique smell, and their body chemistry generates their special kind of body odor. But what I discovered is that within one person, you can have many different kinds of body odor. Uh, sometimes it can just smell kind of bad, just unpleasant. Sometimes it smells like food and doesn't, actually doesn't smell that bad. And if you were to smell it not knowing it was body odor, you'd be like, oh, what you cooking? 
and which is kind yeah, of gross to think about, yeah, right? Yeah, that, that that would bother me to go. Oh no, that's just my smelly roommate. Yeah, <laughs> like if I if I like wafted some air from under my arms into a jar and closed it and then um, said, "Okay, what food is this?" and I opened it and you were like, "Ah, oh, let's see, that's uh, it's like burgers, chili dogs." Yeah, yeah. And I would be like, nope, that's my armpits. And you would gag. That would make me gag. And the idea, even though chili dogs is like a perfectly pleasant smell, yeah, it should not be associated with the armpits. Right. <laughs> and that would just, that, that the association of smells. Um, I'm curious about two factors that I know nothing scientifically about, but I've heard, um, mm-hmm. first of all, that we don't evaluate our own like emissions that well. Like so, or like we, part of that's contingent upon, um, the smell of change or this the change of smell in order to identify like like yeah. we quickly grow accustomed to a smell so if yep. someone lives near some smelly like like paper plant landfill. or a landfill yeah, yeah. They, they stop smelling pretty quickly but someone new to the environment smells it really you know like oh this is awful so yep. body odor i feel like you running a test just by yourself is very difficult to do because well, you know that of yeah that that's that's a good point and that was something i considered is I was actually like, uh, when I was running this experiment, I was like, okay, I don't think I smell bad, and I need to go pick up lunch now, but am I just acclimated to the smell? And if I go pick up lunch, people are going to be looking at me really weird because I stink, and then I'll be like, I don't want to chance this and put on deodorant. Um, but like, the fact that the smell changes and I notice it over time suggests well that actually contributes to the to my. Uh, to my observation that the smell is actually changing. It's not just that, you know, I'm acclimated. If it was just me acclimating, then I wouldn't be able to detect um, the smell after days. But it changes so I can detect that. The change of smell is not just a sliding scale you're saying either. It's not like it just gets a little worse and a little worse. No, no, it's It's not. It's a different smell. Different smell profile that is yeah it's not a strength it's a different it's a different smell i encourage you to stop wearing deodorant for a while and try it i mean i'm in a position to do that i think we all exactly. are like this might yeah, be the time. So if there's a time to do it let's try I, it out I, re- I recommend everyone stop wearing <laughs> deodorant antiperspirant just for a few days and try it out in fact the um, idea is odd to like why would if i'm stuck at home why am i getting out and putting on deodorant right like, well that's I mean, kind of what my thought because you know you have to pay for, you have to go buy deodorant and if if it's not being used and in it the could sense, be like, harmful yeah right, but actually uh that rumor has not been confirmed like there's actually no uh confirmation of that that i could find apparently that's not necessarily true that it causes alzheimer's is not uh not confirmed so i think that's a danger that you don't have to quite worry about so much <laughs> right. i don't worry about it even though i mean i guess in the back of my mind but i still put on deodorant and, and antiperspirant so yeah so yeah i i've always just used the word deodorant i never used the phrase antiperspirant even though i know there's a difference between the two like you you were right on that deodorant just is basically a perfume antiperspirant has a compound that essentially clogs those apocrine gland pores. It keeps it from secreting that sweat. And and um, when there is an antiperspirant, it's always a deodorant and antiperspirant. So that's why yeah, the perfume right. or whatever, this nice smell in your it just isn't isn't in competition as much with the the ap- what is it? Apocrine. Apocrine. I'm not yeah. sure Apri- how it's apricot grossness. Yeah. Yeah, apricots on your arms. So. Um, what do you think causes the diff- the variety of smells between 
or within one person. I mean, I imagine diet. Um, I mean, you're, you're on, outside of your the blanket term, like chemical makeup, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, people obviously sweat at different rates. Um, and then I, I imagine diet's huge. Like, I mean, think of Indian curry. Like, if there's something with a particular spice that seems, seems to seep out quick, you know, or, or uh, in a pungent way. Yeah. Um, other than that, I don't know. Yeah, so you're right. Diet is a diet's a big one, um, and stress stress level. So the your your blood chemistry, your hormone levels can affect your body odor as well. So if you're really stressed, you can actually have a, a distinctly different smell, or if you're aroused, you can smell different. Um, so this might lead into oh, yeah. the whole pheromone yeah, discussion. Pheromones. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, your 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 body chemistry actually does change what the smells are because it changes what um, what uh, fatty acids or proteins are secreted. And so the bacteria are actually eating something different. The chemicals that they emit are different, and so it causes a different smell. Um, and that and you're exactly right. Like that's one of the things when I was when I was researching this um, that was noted is that Indian people like have a distinct body odor that smells like curry because they eat lots of curry. And I've noticed that. Like I had some Indian friends in high school, and like I went to I went to this guy's house and. Like it just smelled like curry. He smelled like curry. The house, was, yeah, it almost sits heavy in, in the just room. Curry everywhere, yeah. And it was, you know, it's body odor. Now here's another here's another fact, as well, um, that, you know, I, I guess could that's not controversial. It's just a fact, right? Like the ra- <laughs> different races actually smell different. Um, yeah. And that, have that should surprise no one really. Have different levels of body odor, like diet aside. So the fact that Indians eat lots of curry, and some of that dietary, uh, some of that food material ends up being secreted and emitted as an odor. That's, you know, that's one thing. But there, even if we all ate the same foods, uh, we would still have differing levels of body odor because we actually the races have different concentrations of the apocrine glands. So this is something I wasn't aware of, but when I read it, it makes sense because let's see if you can guess. No. Yeah, let's see if you can guess. <laughs> no. Which which race has No. The least which which is the least stinky race? I'm not I'm not I'm I'm oh not uh, I'm not playing that. Um I don't know. I have no you don't, idea. Come on. Right, Asian which, people. Just, that, you're right. Ding ding ding. That's correct. Asians uh are typically known as the least stinky race because they have the lowest concentration of apocrine glands. Um and like what you know, we went to Japan together, and actually, that's something that I kind of noticed is that you would think when we were you know we went in the middle of summer in July, we were crammed on these tiny trains, cars yeah. full of people, and it actually th- didn't smell that bad. No, it didn't. I mean, I rarely caught whiffs of bo, and like, not that I was thinking about it that much, but. You know, yeah, but you think you it happened more with that many people in that in that close of quarters so. in the hot summer with everyone right. sweating. Yes, like I, you would expect that to be a horribly stinky environment, like a locker room or something. I wonder if that's but, why I pulled. Like, I don't know why I said Asians, to be honest, but maybe. Yeah. I, actually, here's another interesting thing that I read. It's just a rumor, um, apparently. Uh, but it's at some point in the past having 
BO, having body odor, was enough to prevent Japanese men from being allowed into the military. Whoa. Because it was so unusual and signified impurity. And, you know, it's a largely Buddhist background. And wow. they're all about purity. And so having bad body odor was enough to keep them from being admitted into the military. So imagine they judge body odor. Even We all kind of judge body odor probably more than we should. And, and Asian cultures might... Do just that even more harshly. Yeah. Well, just because it's more more noticeable and unusual. Right. So actually, I don't know if you remember this uh, this brief um, moment, but when we were in Japan, we were on the trains, and uh, you know, middle of summer, <clears throat> the you know the doors opened, and this group of Europeans got on the train. Sweat. I think they were like overweight too, and they were like sweaty. And there was this one Japanese woman <clears throat> who was standing near the door. And apparently, immediately got a big whiff of body odor, and like started coughing, and put her hands over her face, and turned into the corner, and just stayed with her head faced into the corner. Oh, uh, so dramatic! Do you remember that? I do remember that. So when you said it, it's like I'm remembering this. It yeah, was yeah. funny. We were trying. It not was to really laugh. Funny. It was such an overt display of disgust. So after saying that, let me ask you the question: Which uh, which races do you think? <laughs> are the most stinky <laughs> that one i'm even less comfortable answering <laughs> no tell me why don't you tell me seriously um <clears throat> european and african people tend to have more apocrine glands mm-hmm. and so they're more likely to have more body odor and um, so is are the apocrine cr- glands do they manifest differently like is it possible that like if you find the smelliest asian and the least the least smelly african and you were to so, so their, their apocrine glands are actually like an overlap, yeah, comparable, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm they, sure. Do they smell uh, the same? Oh, smell the same. Well, and they uh, and they have a similar diet too. So, trying to remove variables, I'm saying. Yeah, right, right. That's a good question. Um, I am I imagine that kind of what I said, where everyone has their own special little smell, um, is probably uh, closer to accurate. You have to imagine that people have generally similar but not identical hormone balances uh and their diets vary um but like you're saying we're trying to eliminate that variable with the african gland you're just talking about severity basically and not the actual like so so it wouldn't be possible to smell someone's shirt and go that's an asian um you could make a guess on if it's a lighter smell uh, maybe yeah you're right but yeah 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 you're probably right i mean Again, you might be able to detect a fishy smell um, because Asians eat more seafood, or you know, Japanese people eat more seafood. So you're just yeah, you're making Indian. a bunch of guesses but again, about that's a diet based thing. one. Yeah, I diet. think I think you're right, at least based on the science that I've seen. The only difference between the races is the concentration of apocrine glands. So yeah, you, by smelling a shirt, you wouldn't be able to tell um, that. So it's just a num- they have different numbers of the glands. Okay. And so um, yeah. That's one other, uh, one other, one other interesting fact too. Uh, lest, lest I be considered racist, I also want to be considered sexist um, as well. <laughs> um, men also uh, are stinkier than women, which is probably stating the obvious. Um, so men, and it's not necessarily because they have more apocrine glands, but it's because they sweat more readily than women. So. They, so if, if you're in a room and the room is 60 degrees and you start cranking the temperature up, men will sweat one degree sooner than women will. Uh, and so you sweat more, 
then you know the bacteria get fed so do we have more, more sweat glands or are they bigger neither, neither one of those um at least as far as i could find that there may be that may be the case but i don't i don't have that it's just that we sweat sooner we're more sensitive to heat okay so so we might have the same amount of glands they just are um their their switch is turned on sooner yeah, it's more right. sensi- their well, sensitivity it's because, yeah uh, apparently um that possibly that's because men have more uh upper body musculature and they they're uh insulated more and so you know the internal mechanisms in your body that detect your core temperature um you know uh turn on quicker and so your body is signaled to sweat it makes a lot of sense that that, yeah that makes total sense to me and men also have uh more testosterone levels and that fuel that's fuel for the apocrine glands as well so and it just seems to coincide with the general truth of uh, yeah, men smell that, worse. Yeah. Men smell I mean, worse, and and well, uh, that girls get cold easily. It seems true, yeah. if you just it's anecdotal at this point, but it seems like you could verify that now. Like the reverse, you know, men are hotter, like uh, temperature wise, or they get hotter easier. So right. Oh, I'm pretty sure that that's been that's been oh, studied. Oh, sure. And, yeah. And done. So. But even but anecdotally, yeah. it's always like girls saying, "I'm cold. I'm cold," and not right. guys as much so right yeah and they're probably cultural considerations too um not cultural but um yeah no it is cultural this differences between yeah. uh men and women as well like you know women are more likely to be concerned with their smell and wear perfume um and uh generally you know men are working more active jobs um just just in general or, yeah the and jobs that are active are more occupied by men yeah right and so they'll be sweatier and uh so that all probably contributes to that so if you're a uh if you're a european dude then you probably stink <laughs> <laughs> oh poor european dude sweaty yeah. europeans yep Well, I think that's about a good place I think to it's a gr- wrap it up. Yes, it is. And I'm glad we have this smooth exit. We've really, you know, we, we yeah. nailed the entrance and we seem to be doing just as well at the end. Yep. <laughs> Wear your deodorant, folks. Stop it. Bye. Bye.